Dancers have a lot to balance. From their pirouettes to their jumps, a dancer's performance is a direct result of hard work and motivation. So where does food fit into this? There's a lot of myths and a ton of antiquated ideals about what a dancer's diet should look like. And I'm here to dispel those. I'm Rachel Fine, registered dietitian nutritionist and founder of To The Point Nutrition. I'm the dance nutritionist and I'm here to tell you that to be a successful dancer, you don't have to diet. Instead, I'll teach you how to use food as your best tool to enhance your performance. A nourishing meal plan not only fuels your dancing, but also enhances your strength, improves your balance, supports your flexibility, and most importantly, reduces your risk to injury. Why don't you tell us about your history as a dancer? When did you start? Um, so I started dancing as an adult, actually. Um, probably when I was like, maybe about nine years ago. So I always wanted to do ballet as a kid. You know, you look at the tutus and everything, and my mom's like, no. I'm not spending money on this, you're going to get so bored, so it never happened. Mm -hmm. And then um, when I was actually back in Singapore to recover from an eating disorder, I just happened to like, I was trying to, I think for me I started ballet because I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do for myself, something I really wanted to do for myself after, you know, doing something that I felt like was for for somebody else for so long because that was where my eating disorder come, came from. I was in a very walk way trying to live up to like my parents expect what I thought my parents wanted from me and took it to an extreme. So I remember walking past this ballet school in a shop, local shopping mall and I was like, yeah. with my mom and I was like, you know what, I've always wanted to do ballet. And then she was like, okay, why don't you go in and try? And I was like, oh, really? We can just go in like this? And so I just went in blind. I was their first student. I just went in and just signed up for a whole term without even knowing what ballet was. And then it kind of started from there very slowly. And you got your degree in law, right? Uh, yeah, law and political science, overachieving Asian. And you briefly mentioned that maybe you struggled with like an eating disorder growing up. Can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with food? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, as a kid, I'm a perfectionist and I'm OCD and, and I'm on the autism spectrum. But I guess growing up, um, I didn't really think about food too much. I just really enjoyed it. But because I was OCD, I was I always had a thing where if I really liked the food, I would just keep eating it. And I had no idea what health was or anything. So um, I guess the good thing is that I was very free with my eating. But the bad thing is that like when I liked something, I would just keep eating. So when I was nine, I discovered salt and vinegar potato chips, and that's like, I would just eat that a lot. Or like, before an exam, when I was in uni, and I was really stressed out, I would literally just eat the same thing over and over again, because I liked it, and it was comforting, and so I think there was one year where all I ate for like a month was like, chocolate, <laughs> and then one, one semester, all I ate was like, cereal bars or something, so it was, I never realized it, but that was kind of what my OCD kind of manifesting in my relationship with food. Um, and then um, I also kind of had a point to prove, I guess, because a lot of my um, cousins were very into diet culture and they were also people who, uh, you know, did very well in school and I didn't do very well in school. And But they were all these like, slim, beautiful women who were like doing everything that I was and I was like this plump, underachiever kind of person. And so I would just kind of like eat to show them that I wasn't 
to distinguish myself like I'm not these people who don't eat anything and worry about their weight so sometimes I also use that as like a point to prove but um, but in general yeah I mean I was definitely a lot more untroubled with my eating and then when I had an eating disorder it was kind of the opposite where it's like you deprive yourself of the things that you really love and that's food to show yourself that you are being disciplined and in control so that so it kind of pendulum the other way and it was actually a lot to do with the fact that I love food. I love food so much I eat it and then I love food so much I decided not to eat it. Yeah. Yeah, you bring up such a good point because a lot of dancers seek control. You know, the thing with dance, which is interesting, is that we actually have a lot, we are so out of control of our immediate surroundings in, a, in the sense of, you know, how well we do in class or how well we do at an audition. And so often what could be the future of like our career or maybe of just our performance success is actually left in the hands of teachers and directors and choreographers. And we can try hard and, and work our hardest and improve our technique. But I think at the end of the day, a lot of dancers feel a lot of um, just out of control of their immediate settings. So because of that, they seek to strive for control in other ways. And most often that comes down to diet and wanting to control our food choices throughout the day. So it's so interesting that you say that. And then of course, when we have these other precursors of like perfectionism or having like a type A mindset, I personally can relate to that as well. We can become very obsessive around behaviors around food and our body, whether that's like weighing or anything like that. Now, Min, you and I share a, a, a love for carbohydrates and pizza, especially, which brings me into how did you make this transition into the retail space? Um, before that, I think the one thing I do want to say is that, like, I know a lot of people now as well with the pandemic may go to, like, um, less healthy ways of eating, like, counting calories or restricting food. And again, it, I think it's the control thing as well. It's everything around you is so out of control that you kind of uh, uh, fixate on the things you can control. Like, in ballet, it's weight because there's so much place on aesthetics. So you're like okay, then I control my weight because I control my aesthetics and maybe this will help me, you, you think that way. And it's the pandemic as well because if you're used to controlling, say, food, then you go back to that control because it gives you security because there's so much uncertainty. And for me, while I don't deprive myself of food anymore, I can definitely understand the, the, the reason why, I mean, the need to feel control. And I mean, it definitely manifests in other ways during this pandemic. Like, I'll control, like, I have a very set routine and it's quite rigid because it gives me that control or like there's definitely foods that I'm more comfortable with eating that like after having this eating disorder and like I'll just you know eat those more often so yeah I mean I just wanted to mention it because like I think ballet is when you feel out of control your career or your life is hard enough and then with the pandemic I think there's a lot more going on in terms of people's mental health lockdowns and you have all these restrictions and you have no idea when it will end and I think um, I think a lot of people are struggling mentally with a lot of different issues so I just wanted to mention that yeah, yeah and you, you do raise incredible points in regards to the pandemic just being another one of those instances of dancers having a lack of control personally as a clinician I did see an uptick in disordered eating and even eating disorders throughout the entire pandemic, especially in the beginning, March, April, May of 2020. Um, and we're also seeing it now as we kind of head out into this like post-pandemic 
new normal, I should say, and just dancers that do find that comfort that you're talking about and get very into those regimented routines. And I kind of want to throw out the idea of it giving a little bit of a false sense of comfort, because then when we are brought into these new situations, like this post-pandemic new normal, where life is, is returning and, you know, going out and seeing friends or going out to social gatherings where food is involved, that in of itself now throws a curveball to dancers who might have gotten very comfortable in a set routine. You know, how can they change that and how can they build a bit more flexibility or just find comfort in a bit more flexibility in their lifestyle? Yeah, I mean, for sure, like, and it's not just an issue with eating disorders. Like I was, you know, I see a therapist regularly, especially like this year because of everything. And she's just been saying that like, you know, even though, you know, we're still kind of, we're still having a restricted lifestyle in Singapore, but it's not as bad as lockdown, but she's still seeing, like, so many cases of, like, mental health issues on the rise now, just because, you know, she says your, your body just has so much adrenaline and there's so many issues going on, you know, within there, because sometimes I would tell her, like, things are more stable now, but I'm, like, crying every day, and she's like, it's a pandemic, you know, there's so many things going on. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right about, like, you know, routines giving you a false sense of control because, like, for me personally, just, like, sharing, like, my routine gives me, that helps, I feel like my routine helps me control my anxiety, but sometimes it gets to the point where your my routine also gives me anxiety because you become so rigid with it, you're like, I need this for comfort. And the thing about the pandemic is that the sameness of every day and the restrictions makes it hard for to break out from that even something simple like say regarding food like if you can't really go out to meet your friends to eat uh dinner or, or to have dinner or have a you know meal at a cafe then you're like well i'm just going to keep eating the same things over and over again because they make me feel comfort whereas if you go with your friend and you enjoy yourself the food wouldn't be the main issue and you'd be eating at a different place and you know trying different foods and that helps you to break your routine in like a really enjoyable way so you know without those things it's very easy to get chained to your routine absolutely yeah. in my opinion a key word here is flexibility and and knowing when a routine can be borderline disordered because it could potentially be limiting and not allowing you to experience the beautiful um experiences of being with friends and eating with friends without feeling overly anxious or guilty around food yeah and i think you know it's it's hard to have that flexibility like yes it was so much of in the pandemic so if people feel guilty about having their routines just know that's normal but also yeah i can understand where it can give you distress and it's really hard to you know do you know it's, it's just really hard to sometimes break out of it when you feel like you need it but then it doesn't necessarily help you and it's i guess just about being mindful and doing it in a gentle way sometimes i feel like Absolutely. Gentle, such a key word. Um, I talk about this a lot with food too, just having a gentler approach to nutrition. And when we're receiving information about quote unquote healthy eating, like how can we apply that information in a gentler way? Because again, when you have dancers who tend to be more type A and perfectionist, I struggled with this myself, taking information, taking it to the 250 degree Rather, you know, bringing it back a little bit and understanding that, you know, one meal or snack is never going to make or break your dance performance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So please tell us about your shift into the retail space. Um, well, I mean, honestly, when I started Club of Victory, it was literally like, um, 
like people were making like t as other t-shirts people were making t-shirts for like adults so i'm gonna make stuff i want to wear and then i was like i don't know i didn't know anything about running a business i didn't know anything i was just like i kind of know understood social media a bit because i've always been somebody who was on social media and i think even before i was called social media like i was in forums and i was in this like blogging community called live journal where you would follow each other's blogs and share stuff yeah so um i sort of understood i guess in a sense internet communities and social media so i was like okay so i'll just put some stuff online to sell and i started with tumblr and you know doing it like really small and then when i graduated from um university um, i was like i still wasn't well enough to find a full-time job so i was like okay i'll just keep doing this for like six months until like i find a real job um and then it kind of slowly kept going um, it sounds very, like the Clipsos version sounds really good, like, oh, it kept going and I'm still doing it, but it was definitely very difficult when you had no idea how to run a business. I had no idea how, like, working with suppliers or marketing or just everything. It's a lot different running a business versus, like, just putting out stuff on the internet for, like, your friends or, like, strangers who become your friends to see, you know, but at the same time, I think uh, there was definitely a lot of learning and you know, some things don't work out and then you call that tuition fees and you just kind of look at it as a learning experience. But um, I think, uh, I guess in a sense, maybe my st strength, oh, see, perfectionist, I find it so hard to praise myself. Like my strength is the fact that um, I am a, quite a genuine person. So I think that helps when you're on social media and everything is so curated that people are looking for something a bit more authentic and for me it's it's very hard not to be that and i enjoy also um just making people giving people joy and i think sometimes in that sense that sincerity kind of helped but all the other stuff definitely lots of learning curves and still learning yeah yeah i can relate to that too just being an entrepreneur i mean i feel like everything business oriented i, I never learned in my schooling to be a dietitian so that end of it i mean administrative work and just running a business in of itself has been solely based on experience so i think there's just always learning curves and um definitely ebbs and flows in regards to just you know having good times and then of course having those difficulties and those challenges along the way yeah and i think people uh don't always yeah realize that you know when you when you do work for yourself you know like i said on instagram you know everything can look really nice or even somebody's website looks like super professional like oh they must be doing great but like you said there's lots of ups and blows and ups and downs and for me uh i think definitely like the first i mean i've been doing this for like nine years but i would say like the first six years were really really hard and then you know it's i started to like you know have a little bit more confidence and it kind of you know got better and i think a lot of it is really just learning to have confidence to do simple things like you know send out the email or like talk about your product or like not worry it's difficult but like or maybe not worry as much when you're having a, a low season and thinking of it as a personal failure but or like oh no there's no income but then i'm just thinking of it as like okay then let's use the time to like work on stuff and reassess and things like that and you know it's always easy to feel good when it's the highs and then when it's like the low period, you know, it's hard and, you know, it's how you look at things. But I, I think a big part of it is actually is uh, running your business is actually, in a sense, a lot of uh, self-confidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
Absolutely. And being able to maintain that in the social media space is hard in and of itself, because just like how dancers can go on social media and second guess their own abilities, entrepreneurs do the same thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, you know, you I mean, we definitely have like metrics for what does well, like if something doesn't get enough likes, you're like, oh, is this content bad? Is this not what people don't want to see? Or like, if I post this, am I uh, talking about my product too much or something and uh, people are just going to get sick of it but at the same time if I don't talk about it people don't know what you're selling you know just things like that this, and then like oh am I have I, do I have followers do I not and you know how is everybody else doing in relation to me or that person that other business their pictures are so much nicer and their visuals are so much nicer and it's just all kinds of things I mean it's so simple like social media but it can definitely breed a lot of insecurity, which I think not just businesses, but individuals feel as well. So one thing I love about Cloud and Victory is working with in a sustainable way. Um, can you talk to us a little bit more about that? But I think for me, I started because um, first I wanted to offer people like a high quality product. And a lot of that does come from the fact that something is made in certain conditions where people are treated well. And then would say the cotton is grown with care for the environment and stuff because it does create a higher quality product when you are taking care of, say, the base materials that become your product and you are taking care of the people who make your product. So, you know, when we, when I source the t-shirts and stuff, I try to look for manufacturers with like certain accreditations so that I know, you know, that they are bound to certain third party standards or like if I can't, I'll like visit um, our new made in Taiwan and so we visit the factory there because, you know, when you're a smaller business and that's very small, you don't necessarily have those international accreditations. So we'll visit the factory and then we'll be like, oh, okay, um, you know, we, I can see how the way you run things and the way you do business and things. So, um, yeah, so for me, it started from like having a high quality product um, because at the end of the day, I think that when you ask people to choose ethical and you're selling them a higher price point, you have to give them a reason. If you're selling them an ethical product and it's like, well, the quality is the same as the $5 product I bought down the street, then they're like, then what's the incentive for me to pay $50 for it? There, there is none in that sense. So it has to be a win-win. But I guess the, the emotional aspect for me was also when I was looking for high, I started with t-shirts, like I said, I was looking for um, t-shirt manufacturers. I started reading about, um, you know, the factory collapse in Dhaka um, in India, where like, because of the unsafe working conditions, like a whole factory collapse and so many people died. I started reading about, you know, uh, the high suicide rate of cotton farmers in India because um, cotton monopolies were such that they would sell farmers cotton seed at a really low price and ask them to invest in all this machinery, but then buy the cotton from them at a really low price. So they would use, farmers had to buy the seed at a high price, invest in machinery, and then their returns were very little and so many of them ended up getting into debt and then committing suicide. Um, and, you know, there's all these issues about, you know, fast fashion, how it creates, how it pollutes the environment, or even, you know, how crops are grown. Like, natural cotton sounds great, but the way the cotton is grown can actually be very harmful for the environment, even if it is organic, because um, organic cotton, say, for example, takes up so much more space to grow than regular cotton that you end up raising a lot of natural, uh, you end up destroying a lot of natural ecosystems. So it's not just about, say, something being organic or natural being good. It's also about the way it's grown and things like that. So when I started reading all this stuff and being conscious of it, it was very hard to say, well, I'm just going to ignore all of it. So um, I think that's also kind of how the two things kind of melded together. It was like the quality and then also just like the personal, uh, I guess, the principles that I want to have for running a business. And I, I think the thing is that it 
did make it a lot harder because you are selling product at a much higher price point than a lot of people. And, you know, five, seven years ago, nobody knew what ethical was. And there's a bit more awareness now, so it's better. But it definitely, I definitely just made things harder for myself. But I think also when you're running your own business, it's so hard, especially in the dancewear space, which is so niche, that if you're not doing something that fulfills you, it's quite hard for it to keep to keep doing it when I always feel like there's maybe less stressful ways to make money. Yeah. Yeah. One word that you used that I loved was this idea of greenwashing. I think that um, it's so common for companies because we see this in diet culture too, when an idea is known to be coming of coming of age and starting to pick up in popularity. Right. It's trendy. Yeah. Trendy. You see a lot of, um, other brands, let's just say, you know, starting to pick up on the trend and, and uh, utilize this. I see this a lot with the idea of intuitive eating. Um, a lot of diet culture in the States, we have Weight Watchers. Now they're known as WW. I mean, they have completely changed their marketing in order to fit in with this whole anti-diet movement that is really over the past, I would say five years has picked up in speed. So it's interesting that we see this in fashion too. Um, and the idea of greenwashing and, you know, what does it actually mean to have a, an ethical um, brand and, and yeah. sustainability? So I, I appreciate you raising awareness about this. And I think awareness is always the first step even for consumers, I actually believe it or not have like a very, um, a huge interest in sustainable fashion, like not even with in regards to dancewear, but just in general, like the idea of sustainable fashion and resale versus uh, fast fashion, you know, like your H&Ms and stuff. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I think it's so, it's, it's fascinating. And to hear that you ha are doing research in that realm as well, just in regards to like the factories you use, that's really, that's really inspiring. Thank you. Um, I mean, I find the tricky thing about greenwashing is that you do want to encourage businesses to go on this path and if like they realize that, oh, if I am ethical, it makes me want to money, then because people won't be like to buy, that's great, you know, and that should be encouraged. So I, you know, that is the aspect we shouldn't discourage. But, you know, I think it's the idea when a business is just doing it for social collateral mm -hmm. um, and you know that they could be doing more and it's, I guess, not and I think that's something I'm very mindful of as well because um, that's something I do worry about. Like, am I just doing something and not necessarily in terms of just ethics, but like, you know, a lot of things. Like, am I just talking about things or am I just doing things for social collateral because it makes my business look good or am I doing it because I genuinely want to make a change? And I think that's kind of, you know, what you have to... I think that's it has to come from the right place. You know, no matter how much you can do or can't do, I think... It, it, the issue is like where does it come from is it just a very calculated decision or is it something that you genuinely believe in yeah. absolutely so talk to us about your mission to be inclusive especially in regards to body type and the unrealistic ideals of whether it's like our relationship with food or our relationship with body you kind of cover it both which is what i do at to the point nutrition and i think that's what really brought us together everything you do um, really embodies everything I do at To The Point Nutrition. So talk to us a little bit about how you wanted to get into that space of being a brand that embodies all bodies. Um, I mean, for me, the first thing is that I'm not a professional ballet dancer, so I don't look like a professional ballet dancer. And obviously, part of 
you know, recovering from eating disorder is really is just getting to a place where you feel more accepting of, um, you know, who you are, and or even if you say have a bad body image day or bad food day, just not like beating yourself up over, over it and having it like define you in that sense. So um, I've it's something I've always been very aware of, and I I've also been the word is frustrated because for me ballet was actually very helpful for me recovering from eating disorder because i realized that if i didn't eat i couldn't enjoy it mm. but then you know you hear a lot of stories from my friends who you know whether they were professionals or whether they just did it as a kid how they were body shamed and shamed by you know their teachers who and directors or whatever who didn't know any better or like maybe knew and didn't care because they just wanted to get this aesthetic out of you and so it's been incredibly frustrating sort of hearing when you know a dancer has not been placed in the best environment possible and you know still have lingering issues to this day and so um i guess that's something that's set up the back of my mind and something i've always wanted to do something about and sometimes i talk about that on my social media but then you know i also saw that um you know a couple of years ago that active there were some activewear brands who were pushing to be more inclusive in their sizing and their marketing and i was like that's great because when i see that i see you know real bodies i'm not just seeing um a certain kind of aesthetic and i was like why can't we do that in the ballet world as well and maybe we should because i i'm an adult dancer and i know that lots of different people wear my clothing so i was like i just uh, let's let's do that you know <laughs> let's kind of show that and so i think that was the first um that that was how it started like very consciously in terms of like the visual aspect of my marketing i say you know what i just want to do a body inclusive shoot i think it's time nobody else in the ballet world is doing it but i think it needs to be done so like i asked a bunch of my friends who are like professionals and adult dancers and come together and I remember the first time I did it was terrifying because I was like I have to get this right because these people are putting themselves out there some of these people are not professionals and they're willing to come and put themselves out there for this shoot you know that's going to be public and everybody's going to see it so I have to get it right because I have to do for them and also for the message that we're sending and it was very nerve-wracking and then I did it and the response was really good because then people could finally see how a piece of dancewear or a piece of clothing could look on somebody who looked like them or somebody who didn't necessarily look like the perfect ballet aesthetic and i think that me could make people feel more accepted and feel good and then from there you know i guess that gave me the confidence to work on certain things like we push to have increased our sizing range sometimes the bigger sizes don't sell that well and they've actually never sold that well but i was like you know what i'm just gonna try it um, and sometimes even if they don't sell that well, I'll still make sure to stock some pieces in the bigger sizes because I know, yeah, it may not make me the, the, the most money, I might have trouble selling it, but I know that at least somebody who sees it will appreciate that, look, this brand's actually making an effort to have my size, and maybe one day I'll buy from them and, you know, can wear it and feel good about myself. And, and then, you know, and then when you start looking at social media and you see the range of dancers from dancers who, you know, you know, of different races, different body types, different sexualities, you know, maybe different, um, I would say maybe a, a abilities or, you know, like there's a dancer, um, 
Olivia Book, who is dancing with only one arm. And I thought that was so incredible. I was like, I couldn't even do a single pirouette and I have both arms and she's doing that and she's amazing. And I was like, somebody like that, I think I would like to, you know, collaborate with her and, 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 and showcase her on television because, you know, I think inclusivity is, it can be very all-encompassing. And for me, I just like sharing, using almost her victory as like, an excuse sometimes just to share people's stories and share people's journeys because they're always so incredible and you know there's definitely like i said more that i feel like i can do like in singapore ballet is very chinese dominated so finding people to shoot with who are not chinese or caucasian or eurasian is incredibly difficult so i am very aware of the fact that there's more that i can do and there's always more that i can do so um but i think just for me starting from a place of I am not a perfect dancer and I don't pretend to be and I don't want my brand to be just for people who look a certain way. Yeah, yeah sure. Or who, let's just say, fit this so-called quote-unquote ideal that is so unrealistic and unattainable and most often leads a lot of dancers to building very unsustainable habits in regards to food and causing them burnout and even... Or just feeling really bad about themselves. And I was like, I'm like... you. I'm like, if you're doing this and it's just making you feel horrible, maybe that, that that's not great. That's not a good reflection of the industry. Yeah, absolutely. And you are playing such an integral role in helping to shift the industry, you know, because like the more we see of whether it's various body types or races or sexualities or different types of shirts and sayings on shirts and what they're wearing, it all helps to shift the industry and to make things more, um, to increase exposure and make things more accepting. So thank you for doing such an incredible job at being, playing this integral role in that. I mean, I have my small space and I think I kind of do what I can. So I'm, I'm really grateful that, you know, uh, for your support and your, you know, encouragement. Um, but yeah, I think, Interestingly, with the fun shirts, I think that was kind of where it started because I was like, ballet is so proper and it should be fun. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think like what social media is doing now in the sense where like we are, you know, talking about the issues that don't, aren't talked about or just making ballet, making, I guess, dancers hopefully feel okay with not being perfect or not being Svetlana Zahra because I can tell you even Svetlana like has days where she's like I'm not perfect you know but you just don't see it and I sure. think so you know there's so much comparison going on that um yeah anything we can do to make people realize that not everything is perfect and that's okay is Absolutely. I completely agree. And my final question to you, question I ask everybody on Conversations with the Pros is, how would you define what it means to be the healthy dancer? Um, I think for me, it comes back to the idea, and I guess this is something that I have been struggling with for the past one and a half years because of the pandemic. It comes back to the idea of, uh, you know, joy. And I think at CMV, you know, I always talk about trying to be a fueled space and you know find joy and i think that's also because i do sometimes struggle to find joy within myself but um and i think to be a healthy dancer the key thing is to dance with joy and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna go into class every day and be like yes this is amazing i love it you know but in general just feeling like this is something that 
fulfills you and brings you joy even in quiet ways you know and it doesn't mean you won't have bad days but you know joy in the sense of um it's not something that drags me down it's something that fulfills me it's something that um overall at the end of the day i enjoy doing because i am mentally and physically healthy in my mindset for it um even though i may have good and bad days you know that 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 is um i think that's what it means to be a healthy dancer and i think that actually is what it means to be a healthy person in general in life but like i said it's easier said than done and i will fully admit that joy has been something that has been difficult to for me to find uh during this pandemic but i think i am very fortunate that dancing um does give me joy despite everything that's happening yeah such a great point because something i always say is that joy is usually one of the first signs or i should say lack thereof usually one of the first signs of burnout and when a dancer loses that joy in a passion that they once had in regards to dance well then it's time for us to take two steps back and be like okay well what am i doing that's taking the joy out of what i once loved like most of us that pursue dance Although some of us might pursue it because maybe we're being told from someone else, like you mentioned earlier, that like, this is what we're supposed to do. But I would say for most of the dancers that I've spoken to, they've all had some bit of passion in dance in, in, you know, whether that was from when they were a child or, you know, to their pre-professional adult years. But the second we do start to see that spark dim and the joy taken out of it is most often what we see with burnout, which again is just such a product of developing unsustainable habits or disordered habits around food and body. So I love that point, you know, and that again is one of the first signs that I often say it's like, well, do you still have the joy? And you're right. Like even that can ebb and flow. Like we're, we're, we're all human. We're meant to not necessarily feel a hundred percent positive in our body. And another thing I, I like to sometimes talk about is the potential for um, not necessarily reaching body acceptance, but maybe just like striving for something called body neutrality because yeah, I that as well. Yeah, it's it's hard to when you put yourself. And I think this is very natural because I feel like a lot of dancers are perfectionists. Um, to so for me, for example, when I was recovering from my eating disorder, it was like you kind of want to recover in the perfect way. You're like, I want to get back to the place where I was like super intuitive with my food and blah 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 blah. And like, why is it not happening? And then you start to realize that you know, I'm not going to go back to the way I was before. I'm in a different place and I may still have hangouts with my food and that's okay because it's a learning process and I have to accept myself with who I am and, you know, with my personality. And I think as opposed to saying, no, I have to reach this perfect standard of joy or recovery or dance or something, you know, because then you're just, it's because joyless again because you're just, trying to reach another ideal which you think will bring you happiness but it won't because you're putting pressure on yourself and expectation on yourself to be to have to you know again you know reach a certain standard as opposed to the standard that works for you and your personality yeah, yeah. i mean i feel like i can talk to you all night seriously <laughs> you you give such great insight i love it well, I mean, this is many years of being in my head a lot in therapy. And um, just but quickly on the subject of burnout, I will just say if anybody's feeling burnt out by ballet or anything, I think sometimes people can afford to take a step back and, you know, um, re, 
and take and take the break from it and remove themselves from the situation and so that they can come back and find joy and sometimes you don't have that luxury of doing that and i think the thing is to remember to be patient with yourself and recognize that it takes time because i've been dealing with pandemic burnout for like a year as well and it's you know my dancing is still a big thing that i enjoy very great putting back in the studios but with a lot of other things in life it's definitely been a struggle so it's been frustrating but i also recognize that it's just going to take time to get back to it again and i think it's also important to remember that it doesn't mean that you are not as mentally resilient if say somebody else is enjoying being in the studio and you're not or like you know doing feeling like they're coping so much better with a pandemic or whatever and you're not it's just that everybody's different and everybody's circumstances is different yeah and just on that note and one last note is you know seeking support for when you are feeling burnt out whether that's support for mental health support for food uh, whatever it might be but seeking support and professional resources can be super helpful for any dancer who might be feeling like they are needing to take those two steps back in order to regain that joy and that passion yeah for sure min thank you so much for joining me no, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure as usual to talk to you and chat. Yeah.